I'm not sure how much you think about this, but something I've started thinking about more and more lately is my legacy. How will we be remembered? This week's guest has an interesting perspective. He says we will be remembered for what we do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 110th episode of the Resilient Journey podcast, presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by Yusef Yukai, and we're talking about mentoring. But this isn't your normal mentoring discussion. Yusef explains that we not only need to share what to do, but also how to be successful. He encourages us to ask seeking questions and find new ways to ask questions. Yusef tells me that he thinks mentoring is philanthropic and an essential part of growing younger professionals. But we also realize that mentoring is a two-way street. Yusef, thank you for doing this. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Could you start us off just by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your background in resilience? Sure. So first of all, thank you, Mark, for having me uh, speak to you today uh, about resilience and our subject topic. Um, I live in the United Kingdom, West Midlands, to be precise, with my wife and two daughters. Um, been living in the UK all my life, and I've been working in business continuity now for a little over, say, 12 years. So mm. I've had experience in delivering and marketing assurance over that period of time and have also had the opportunity to study the profession at university level which uh, was a privilege i've recently taken a role of uh, of a chapter chair of my regional chapter for business continuity and i've also take i also take a keen interest in the profession outside of work and i like reading non-fiction uh, and that's both a personal and professional driver in what i do so um i like watching sports, um, take a keen interest in uh, in football and athletics. And I also like to read on uh, biographies of, um, of people who have championed sports as well. So just oh, a little like bit that. about me. All right. So today we want to talk about mentoring. Uh, and we're at a kind of an interesting point in time, I think, in our industry. Uh, post-pandemic, things are moving quickly. Uh, There's a lot going on. There's a lot of interest in our industry. And unemployment among resilience professionals is really low. It's like 1% to 2%. So given all of that, with resilience growing, where do you see the next generation of professionals coming from? It's a really good question, Mark. And uh, I think it's a question I wish I could have been briefed on maybe all those years ago. However, things do change, and I would like to start this great question with academia. And I'd honestly say that there's a tremendous number of educational institutions who are leading on resilience programs, and they're creating those channels. And I'm an advocate of that link academia plays for us as resilience professionals, whatever level that we might be at. Um, I benefited from a postgraduate diploma in organizational resilience, which was in fact advice actually given to me at the start of my career Mm. um, in my first role in resilience back in 2011. And I also believe there's no shortage of ways newcomers can start to learn about the discipline we love. We can also look at how organizations look to create the role of of a resilience professional due to various areas such as regulatory demands as well as the growth. And I also believe that due to the broad church that resilience sits, with which includes both private and the public sector, 
new professionals have no shortage of areas that fall underneath the umbrella of resilience. So take into consideration cybersecurity, emergency planning for the response of wider scale incidents, civil contingencies, financial regulatory areas, which lead into operational resilience, health and safety management, building management, that type of thing. So a resilience professional doesn't necessarily have to be steered in one direction. We are by nature as resilience professionals passionate about protecting so we can occupy more than one opinion when it when when it comes to responding to the unforeseen and we have that common purpose to protect whether it can be in the, at, at home or in the office what's interesting there's a lot of interesting things about what you just said uh, one of the things that jumped out at me is the adjacent disciplines all of the different things you talked about whether it's cyber yeah. or even building management um, we talk about physical security we talk about so many different things that uh, are tied to the resilience professional. Uh, and, and I really like that. But I want to just take a minute and follow up on your your answer about uh, academia. Uh, the courses you took on organizational resilience, I think is, is what you said. Was that yes. geared towards a specific sector, private sector, public sector, a certain profession? Uh, how was that aligned with what you're finding in your day-to-day job now? I think it was I think it was actually planned, um, Mark. And it's a good question to ask because it was a course I was meaning to take for a number of years, maybe three and a half years. And what it encompassed was um, a number of areas. So uh, risk and threat perspectives, something that we live day in, day out as resilience professionals. Mm-hmm. So understanding what the horizon of risks are globally as well as locally. We also touched on business continuity as well. Well, wouldn't say touch, but there was a, was a module based on business continuity management, um, security. Uh, so uh, the element of protective security for organizations, as well as uh, civil protection and emergency planning as well. Now, um, what it allowed me to understand was that, there, again, that broad church of, of, uh, of areas that cover resilience, and it equipped me to understand that business continuity resilience isn't just about uh, the plan in your pocket, as it were, uh, yeah. to pretty much just tell people where to go during an evacuation. It's far much more than that. Um, the rules of empathy where it comes to um, um, incidents that could impact an organization for a number of weeks, if not months. I mean, we learned that through COVID. Uh, and also there was an element of reading into what previous studies have allowed us to understand. Um, so again, that allowed me then to look further into um, academic writing on um, decision-making uh, capabilities um uh past disasters that weren't heeded on so yeah it was it was really exciting and and i carry that reading on as um as we speak so not everybody's going to come into the profession through an academic approach i talked to a lot of people who said they were in something completely unrelated to business continuity or resilience and i don't know maybe they just had that look about them and a you know a manager or a leader came to them and said hey We'd like to tap you on the shoulder and have you be responsible for business continuity. For someone who is thrown into it, pushed into it, shoved into it, maybe even dragged into it, right? Kicking and screaming. Where are they going to learn? How are they going to learn not just what business continuity is, but how to do things properly? It's a good question. I think when we start a new role, Mark, um, we need a roadmap to understand what good looks like and that will come through either networking through peers within the organization knowing 
and understanding the organization. And I believe that it also entails us understanding who in, who else in the market is available to speak to. So the roadmap, in my opinion, has a number of key ingredients, as it were. So if somebody's purely fresh uh, into a role, they may have come indirectly through health and safety, or it might have been they've been a, a process owner that has shown those transferable skills to become a business continuity manager. Think of what the ideal apprenticeship may look like. So there's a good deal of governance that they have to have. So having the right set of guardrails in place, practice, good examples of what carrying out operationally will enable a good program of process to succeed. Previous learning adopted by the organization. So what have they learned through uh, doing things well, support, who in the organization can support the learning, what institutions can provide that support, building a purposeful built network, both inside and outside of work. So as we all know, business continuity is a broad church of subject areas, and it's best to reach out to those specialists out there. Um, and practice is key, Mark, and that's really key. So getting to grips with the psychology of doing. So Stephen Covey, in his famous Seven Habits book, talks about the first habit, be proactive, how we focus our time and energy in gaining traction with the mandatory, which requires to be done, focus on the circle of influence as opposed to concern. And uh, talking proactively uh, and taking the initiative necessary to effect that positive change. So changing the, if I only could do this to, uh, I can be more of. Um, so that that would be my two pennies worth. I hadn't planned on asking you this, but do you think that people in our industry are proactive by nature? Um, or do you see people who are just, sort of passively going through the motions. Well, I, how would you describe overall, in general, the resilience profession? I think we're proactive by nature. We have to be. We yeah. are in a very reactive world. And you only have to see the number of uh, incidents we as resilience professionals have to respond to, whether we're in the financial industry, uh, where organizations need to have payments to be made, and the, the reduction of workforce could affect that, for example, or we could be in a uh, we could be in a, a country where there's geopolitical instability, for example. Right. How are we able to ensure that operations are going to carry on and the health, safety and welfare of our colleagues, the mental health of our colleagues as well? I also think, Mark, that for us not to be proactive is a is a major handicap yeah. in uh, us carrying out activity. So having that engaging conversation with human resources, um, with operations, uh, with uh, the organization that deals with the data center contract, for example, and asking seeking questions as well. So by mm. our very nature, we have to be proactive in a reactive environment. I hope that uh, makes sense there. Yeah. You know, you're always good for a quotable quote and ask <laughs> seeking questions is one of them. And I really, really like it. So I mentioned mentoring earlier. I know yeah. that you're a big fan of mentoring. Yeah. Explain why you feel that mentoring is an essential part of growth and development for young professionals. I think it's a good question because I, I was helped um, by mentors um, even in uh, even in education, uh, all the way into the resilience profession. And if we want to think, Mark, about someone who's managed and led highly intense incident responses, um, 
communicated highly detailed executive summaries, been able to gain footing with a variety of personalities, as well as successfully protecting organizations from a range of operational risks. They haven't done it and they haven't done any of this on their own right. and have worked collaboratively to provide valued contributions, worked in a variety of industries and well as countries. So this is just one example which um, a young professional, when they're looking at being a mentee, they need to look at potentially areas where people have actually been at the coalface. I mean, this is just one example. You may also have someone, on the other hand, who's had an indirect link to the resilience profession, such as a human resource professional, who has equally, if not more, in supporting employee welfare, has played a big role in business continuity planning. So going back to the question, why do you believe that mentoring is essential, is that, first of all, it's that stepping stone. It's It should be a part of the wide array, array of supporting tools available to that uh, young professional, as it were. So again, in terms of the description of what the mentee is looking for, there could well be another description, but what they're going to take into account is what will instill belief in building career resilience, what provides a platform for the foundation of building leadership skills, how is it able to push the envelope for the young professional, and who can the new young professional lean on in terms of insight into future endeavors. Um, Tony Robbins in his famous book, Awaken the Giant Within, speaks about belief systems, the power, create, the power to create and the power to destroy. So he discusses empowering and disempowering beliefs. So the power to limit what we are able to do and the power to um, enable us to progress. So one of the key primary goals as a mentor is to support empowering beliefs in order for the mentee to succeed. Think of a new way of asking questions during a BIA, a business impact analysis, for example, or utilizing the learning from an event that you've attended and the lessons learned, or even support and inspire the mentee to make that next brave uh, step into a career move. So I think going back to that that figurehead of someone who's been there, mm -hmm. that is the stepping stone that the mentee is looking to, to adhere to. And again, that helped me uh, at the start of my resilience career. I like what you said there. It's not only mentoring someone so that they know what question to ask. I think we spend so much time on the what, but a new way to ask it. Or if the first way you ask it didn't resonate, if it's not connecting, if it's not getting you the answer that you're looking for, what are some alternate ways of doing that? And I appreciate you said saying that. I mentioned just a minute ago that you're always good for a quote. And in yeah. my notebook, uh, on the very back page of the page I happen to be taking notes, I wrote down something you said the last time we were on a call together. And it was probably six weeks ago. Yeah. And you said, we will be remembered for what we do. And it ties into what we're talking about, because we can have influence in a younger person's career. You know what? Let me yeah. fix that. It doesn't have to be a younger person, because I'm writing down things that you're saying. I've been in this industry 180 years, it feels like, some days. And, you know, sometimes people will say to me, well, who are my mentors? And so, Yusuf, you know, in, in a way, you are. And... Other Thank people you. that I come in contact with. And so it's really important, isn't it, to remember the influence that we can have on those around us? Yeah. I think it's it's good that you mention that because um, of a from a personal perspective, um, I remember when I was at school and I had a fantastic maths teacher by the name of Mr. Jones. He was from Wales. And he had a fantastic and phenomenal way of communicating 
with people. He, I didn't even realize at the time he was mentoring mm -hmm. us as a, as a teacher. He was our deputy head. And Mr. Jones had a way of talking to all of the children in his class. And the way he did it with me is he used to talk about football. He used to talk about the World Cup. He used to talk about his love for Blackburn Rovers. He used to talk about the football match that just happened. And what, what he allowed me to understand was that he talked to me like a man rather than a rather than a student. And I think mm -hmm. that was his way of, of, of elevating that respect. And I think that's what we want from mentors. Um, and I also remember how he used to storytell. He was a phenomenal orator in terms of um, uh, of talking to um, us during assembly and the way he used to tell the story. I remember the, the time uh, during um, um, 1991 in year seven. I, I and, and I still remember this. It's amazing that I still do, that Brian Adams, uh, everything I do, I do it for you, right. was number one in the UK from... July when we broke up for summer holidays until we actually came back before it was knocked off the top by U2's um, The Fly. And I still remember it because he actually spoke about what he did during the summer holidays. He uh, And he was, he was he was explaining what he did and so forth. And when he came back, there was a, you know, the song came on on the Sunday and so forth on BBC Radio 1 and what have you. So it just made me realise, well, I still remember that. And that was the effect that Mr. Jones had on a lot of us um so that that that's quite key yeah just, really, just, just yeah so yeah i really like that i mean it just speaks to not only the fact that mentoring and and teaching is good but that technique and building that relationship and meeting people where they are rather than trying to communicate down to people i've talked about this at the conference talked about horizontal learning and learning from each other just what we're talking about here and it's just so important to be able to relate to people in whatever setting they're coming from, rather than yeah. you trying to pull them into your setting, right? That's 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 really big. The other thing we talk about is generational uh, gaps, if you will, uh, where you've been in the industry for 12 years, I've been in for, for coming up on 25 now, and we work with younger people. And that mentoring, though, can still go both ways, right? We can we can teach them some things around best practices, but we can also learn different techniques back, can't we? I mean, it's the, a good way to yeah. close those gaps. Yeah. Um, whenever we've been, Mark, you've, you've probably been in many courses with a number of institutions and you've been with uh, various in various classes with with uh, with students and what really stands out for me when when you're in these environments is the 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 level of of communication eye contact body language and i think what's key in any type of setting is there's going to be underlying motivations for the mentee to be supported and these are just some of the areas i think that me as a me as a a mentor as I move forward in my career think about so sharing the story of success and learning like I've just done about Mr Jones uh, we all have a story to tell which can stretch our thinking and broaden the scope of how we apply our profession um, encouraging goal setting we need to have goals and outcomes and outcomes is really key uh, of having outcomes attached to goals a goal on its own is like a unused sub in a world cup final the goal once created has to be supported with detail have we for example goal set it allowing our mentees to 
motivate themselves, have direction and focus, measurement of progress, sense of achievement, support that decision-making process, increase their self-awareness and self-confidence, knowing about the societal change they can make as well. So never stop learning and proving by reading on those areas and support successful behaviors. So what are we thinking before the day starts? Have we actually said that to our mentee, our potential work colleague? If the mentorship is like, say, for example, six months, an improvement area may be to look into, you know, stretching that boundary in terms of taking a short course in learning, LinkedIn learning, data center infrastructure visits, and also in terms of building a purposeful built network. Utilize social media networks to understand what events are taking place in your area. What learning has this engagement brought to you? List the soft skills, hard skills, and those skills required for future resilience professionals. So again, um, think about areas that um, will push your understanding of resilience to allow your organization to flourish. One good example for the new professionals to work on technical proficiency, as well as adopting a new BCM software tool. One key soft skill is empathy, the ability to manage and keep in check emotions at the height of an uncertain time. Mm -hmm. It's also that cultural competence and people are able to read that you've got the willingness to care. So if you think about um, an instant room, yeah, and uh, you think about the incident room itself, you've got possibly 25 people, you could be dealing with um, a major industrial incident in a state where a power station's gone off. The the, the pressure that is under the person who is the logist and the person who's maintaining the mass notification is is tremendous where's the support network if they if they've just literally done seven hours straight who's there to tap on the shoulder to say look let's go for a coffee talk about things yeah that is going to be so key in terms of letting people know what's actually on the inside um so i think that that's really key and hopefully that's made sense mark in terms of what when i think about telling that story is is why it's key there's a lot there so let's see if we can summarize it back up so um yeah sure a a few answers ago we talked about not only uh talking about the what but talking about the how how do we ask questions and in the most recent answer you talked about not only the the technical aspect of the resilience profession but also things like empathy business acumen understanding and relating to people and being a good business partner uh, as as we go through that. And all of those things are so important. The thing I want to maybe pull out just a little bit in a follow-up is the idea of emotional intelligence and empathy uh, from the resilience professional. Is that teachable or is that <laughs> is that either on or off that people either have it or they don't? I think it's really an interesting take because we can teach it and we can allow us to understand more about our own emotional intelligence. I think there's parallels uh, because we, in terms of how that links in with mentorship, because uh, I see mentorship as being a a philanthropic drive. It's something that we want and love to do. It would be patronizing towards that journey for us not to bring in real world examples, such as bringing in emotional intelligence. We're actually driven by improvement. And I think it's fair to say it's also far wider. So I would also describe as an exciting voluntary journey. Um, 
I've read excerpts of Dr. Carol Dweck's growth mindset. And one excerpt I'd like to share is every time you push yourself to learn something new and difficult, the neurons in your brain can form new, new strong connections. And over time you get smarter. So we, we start to embrace the challenge. We start to become more curious. We start to increase our, our, our good behaviors and we don't dispel continuous learning and improvement. So think about something you found difficult, Mark, in the past that will prompt you to change. How have you harnessed the power of yet with perseverance? You understand your Achilles heel, as it were. So you understand that you haven't got there yet because it's not an overnight success. And then um, as we look to bring emotional intelligence into what we do and we embrace it, um, how do we reframe the way we think? How do we seek out the unfamiliar? How do we correct our bad habits? And finally, how do we change the game? How do we embrace the game and change the game? Because it's there to stay. Yeah. What, what advice would you give to someone who says, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think I'd like to mentor someone. How would they go about starting? And yeah, what advice overall would you give? First of all, have a strategy. Mm -hmm. I think this is where it comes down to understanding that the relationship is reciprocal. That's the first thing. Yeah. Um, can you, are you able to draw out what your objectives and goals are and the outcomes? And what is the mentee looking to, looking to achieve? Is it a personal goal, a private goal, or a professional goal? Is it achievable? Are you able to use smart and specific goals to get there? What resources can you as a mentor give? Because if the mentee is limited in those resources, as a mentor, it's we talked about being proactive previously. Um, what resources are going to be there? For example, um, an ISO standard, a guidance document, um, um, a document that will provide uh, a definitive way of working. Um, is there a is there a LinkedIn course that potentially could be utilised? Um, networking with professionals like yourself, Mark, or, or who have been in the profession to have that conversation. Yeah, and I think that 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 would be a driver for me. And also, ask the question. Um, Visualise after six months, what does good look like to you? So. What, so, for example, if um, a lot of people talk about sports analogies, so for, for an organization, sorry, for a team to win a World Cup or an FA Cup final or uh, the NBA finals, there's got to be teamwork, there's got to be dedication, there's got to be waking up very early in the morning, but also, but what does that outcome of success look like? Um, and accepting defeat and failure as well, because that's part of life, um, and not to get disheartened out, because there's always going to be that 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 tomorrow as it were so hopefully that's made sense too mark yeah it does for sure all right let's have some fun so let's oh, say sure. you're somewhere and you're going to be giving a, a, a presentation a speaking engagement and you're walking to the podium yeah. what song do you want to be played you've mentioned music already so i'm excited about <laughs> this what song yeah. do you want played when you walk to the podium to speak and why would you pick that one well, before I sh I share my my chosen song, um, and and I and I think that with any with with anybody who loves music, they'll always have their genre. And for me, it's the the seventies and the eighties. Oh, we're getting um, along really well so well. far. Yeah. So um, so <laughs> I'm um, I was torn between uh, um, 
Joe Cocker's with a little help of my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, which, um, which you probably remember was also the the theme tune to the Wonder Years, as well. Uh, the, oh uh, the famous, gosh, yeah. Uh, th- yeah, that was going back. But the one I've chosen has got to be Fleetwood Mac, "Don't Stop," which was, which it is my highlight tune from the Rumours album in 1978, which is the year I was born. And as you may well know, Lindsay Buckingham led the vocals. And I've chosen it because it's, it's, it's a feel-good factor tune. It gets people thinking, it, it, it gets people thinking in a more uh, creative way. And it's always, been a, it's always been a feel-good factor tune for me and uh, uh, put a smile on my face on, on many a time when I've, when I've been in the car. So, uh, so, yeah, it also brings back lots of good memories, too, of, uh, of yesteryear. So um, uh, here's... Uh, a mark on the wall for rumors 1978 that's an yeah. excellent choice yusuf this has been yeah. amazing thank you how can people connect with you to just to know you better or just to connect sure um i'm happy for people to get in touch on linkedin um i'm open for conversations on resilience um i'm looking to learn more um as a as a professional, I don't know everything. Like we all don't know everything. It's um, it's something that I'm 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 keen to learn about, and uh, happy for people to connect with me on LinkedIn, and I'm also on Twitter as well. So look forward to the engagement. And Mark, uh, again, I'm sure that we'll probably have further conversations into 2024 too. Thank oh, I you. hope so. I I learn something every time I speak with you. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. I want to thank Yusef Yukai for being my guest this week and talking about the value of mentoring. The Resilient Journey podcast is a Resilience Think Tank production, and we have another great guest lined up next week. So join us, won't you, as we continue our Resilient Journey.